Hello and welcome to episode 112 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox, and with me in Washington, D.C. is Ben Olson. How's it going, Ben? Good as always. Yeah? Yeah. We got exciting times here in Los Angeles because the World Series of Baseball starts tonight. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, the Dodgers versus the Astros. I do not follow it's sports gonna be, whatsoever. It's so going to be the news. hottest the hottest uh, World Series game one ever because we're also having a heat wave in LA. It's going to be like over 100 degrees for game one tonight at Dodger Stadium. Okay. I will be tutoring the LSAT. Yeah. <laughs> I will not be at the game. <laughs> I did look at tickets and they were like a thousand bucks. Wow. And that's just insane. Yeah. Now, where where are you sitting if you pay a thousand dollars? Oh, that was like the cheapest seat in the entire 60,000 seat stadium. Holy cow. Wow. People pay a lot of money to go to these things that I don't even know. For the World Series. (laughs) Yeah. For the World Series. Yeah. I don't know. Sports fanatics are weird. I, I, um, I've always followed baseball, but I, other than that, I like really care not at all about the NBA or NFL or any of that. Hmm. So it's fun because I grew up a Dodger fan. So it's fun to watch the Dodgers when they're doing well. But uh, even that, like, I can't even watch a game. I can't, you know, if I go to a game, that's fun. But like watching it on TV or something, it's just excruciating. Yeah. It's so slow. Oh, my God. Baseball is the slowest. Yeah. Anyhow, um, that's what's news in Los Angeles. Any news from your part of the world? Uh, Not really. I mean, this is Washington, D.C., so there's always some sort of, you know, melee going on but it's usually very childish so nothing nothing really important i guess except for the utter destruction of yeah. the government i was just this morning reading some more very childish uh tweets from our president um just insulting people just calling people names mm-hmm. yeah it's great maybe the lsat will come out awesome. with some like flawed arguments that are more focused on attacking the person because usually those are rare you know people <laughs> spot them pretty easily and then move on but maybe they will now feel the need to illustrate this as a flaw that you're not addressing the issue at hand by attacking the individual yeah and and they'll do it with like um funny insult names name calling yeah <laughs> like this morning he was Trump was tweeting about Bob Corker and calling him little Bob Corker. Mm. Not even little L-I-T-T-L-E, but little L-I-D-D-L-E. Like intentionally misspelling it to make him, to give him a, um, you know, to make it more insulting, basically. Yeah. Wow. It's so bizarre. (laughs) How did this happen? It doesn't feel real. It, it's it really it's 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 yeah it's shocking mm-hmm. um it's all a dream i don't know um if you want to make a difference in the world you could start by getting yourself the best lsat score you can and one good way to do that would be to take ben's free lsat class you could do that at strategyprep.com slash free you could also try my free lsat class which is fox lsat dot com slash free and if you want to get an update every time we post a show you can subscribe at uh, thinkinglsat.com slash blog slash subscribe 
Anything else you want to add to that, Ben? No. That's just one way to make a difference in the world. It all starts with yeah. a great LSAT score. <laughs> well, it all starts with like not going $200,000 in debt for law school, right? So it, you get yourself a good LSAT score. It puts yourself in a much better position uh, to get that scholarship and then to uh, be able to do the kind of law you want to do rather than just having to take a job to pay back your mountain of debt. Yeah. And a lot of lawyers, you know, they go into politics and we need more people who want to or are willing to go into politics and basically sacrifice their life to the public, you know, because yeah. it sounds really shitty for a lack of a better word. And I think that's why a lot of normal people, you don't even have to be extraordinarily extraordinary, apparently, just normal people don't run because it's just setting yourself up for celebrity don't you know and mm. just an awful life but we need more people out there just trying just to be normal and saying well what if we did this i mean it's kind of a normal thing and then running so that'd be good more people um who have the the qualifications not that you need a law degree to run but i think a lot of people who have a law degree feel more confident about getting involved with government because they understand a little bit more how sure. it all works so sure of course, you don't even have to take the LSAT at all because you could just take the GRE and go to law school. Um, we have two headlines, Washington University in St. Louis and Columbia Law, uh, the latest schools to announce that they will accept the GRE for fall 2018 law school admissions. Yeah. Columbia, that's big. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a ton of the top 14 now, right? Yeah. Um, I don't remember the entire list, but a bunch of them and surely more to come, uh, top law schools and mid tier law schools, accepting, uh, the GRE for law school admissions. I still don't think that the LSAT's really going away. And for most schools, you still do need the LSAT. So we're, um, we're still, we're still in business for a little while longer, Ben. That's right. A couple more months. But we'll see. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I have been thinking about it. Um, I mean, I wish I knew more about the GRE, but the LSAT is such a good test of language, you know? And I just don't think, I think the GRE uh, must test you in language to some degree, but I imagine just not as well. So I wonder if on some level this is still just not as great of a substitute. I mean, in some ways it doesn't matter. If you do really well in the GRE, then I think you're going to do well in law school. But it is sort of, I feel like the LSAT is very well tailored to uh, a legal education in some ways because yeah. of the skills that they've explicitly tried to test, you know, and a lot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was the other night, um, helping a former student of mine, she switched gears and decided that she wanted to apply to a, a public policy master's degree. And uh, so she's now, she was an LSAT student of mine, but now she's um, taking the GRE. Yeah. And we've, we've become friends and um, she was like texting me about the GRE math and she was freaking out about the math. And uh, so I went over to her place and she made me cookies and fed me some 
whiskey and uh i was as a, as a fee for helping her with her with her gre math and uh i'm gonna go ahead and say that uh most of our lsat students are not going to be uh doing that test <laughs> they're just not they're just not gonna do it it's yeah. too much i know how much how people freak out when they see a passage that's about science yeah and i know how much they freak out when they see an a logical reasoning question that has numbers and percentages in it yeah and if you don't like the science passages on the reading comp, or if you don't like numbers and percentages in your logical reasoning questions, you are not going to enjoy the math portion of the GRE. Mm. It's, uh, it's, it's too much. It's too hard. I mean, it's, it's stuff that people would have been awesome at when they were in high school, mm-hmm. but they haven't used it since then. And yeah. if you haven't used that stuff since then, it has atrophied significantly. Mm. Um, like I was able to figure most of it out, but I, you know, I took the GRE and the GMAT and taught GMAT and have an MBA. And, you know, I'm like kind of a math guy to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I was like struggling kind of. Mm-hmm. And so I just don't, <laughs> the people are not going to be leaving the LSAT in droves to go take the GRE. Not, not lawyer types, not verbal types. Yeah. It's not going to happen. So I I think it only affects people who just sort of weren't sure what they wanted to do and they already took the GRE or, you know, yeah, people with engineering types of backgrounds might do better on the GRE than than on the LSAT. Mm -hmm. But the bulk of our um, English poli-sci history type of, you know, folks that we see in our classes, uh, those kids are going to they're they're going to still take the LSAT, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Hmm. so yeah um california supreme court will not lower the passing uh bar exam score what do you think about that well uh i thought this was an interesting article thanks for sending it ricky um for a couple reasons one i was i mean i don't know how this all works with the bar but this was a decision that the Supreme court in California was making. And I was, the first question was like, why are they making that decision? Um, isn't this something that the California state bar would be deciding? I mean, it's not surprising that the court is somehow connected to the bar since they are (laughs) lawyers as well, but I don't know. I just figured it was a different administrative body. And I was surprised that the Supreme court was making that decision. Um, I thought it was also interesting and totally unsurprising that the Supreme Court in California said that they would not uh, lower the, quote, cut score, That's which is apparently uh, 1440, whatever that means. They wouldn't um, lower it because it appears to be a consistent trend that – um, in the nation for <laughs> the pass rates to be going down. I mean, this is something that we've known about for a while, um, but here the Supreme Court in California is confirming that. And um, I was curious why, if it's a national trend, they wouldn't lower it. I don't see how that's relevant, whether it's a trend in California or in the nation. Why does that mean that they shouldn't lower it? I, I I don't know. Like, I'm not saying that I disagree with the conclusion. I wouldn't lower it either. But can I, don't I know hypothesize? Why. Sure. Yeah. Please. Since that's the bulk of what we do. Sure. Um, <laughs> that might be a generous term. Maybe. <laughs> <speculate>. Maybe. 
maybe the court is saying when they say that, maybe what they're really saying is, hey, the quality of applicants has been going down. If they're saying, hey, bar passage rates across the country are going down, it's not just California. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe what that means is, I mean, they might not say it because they don't want to be insulting. But maybe what they, and because also because this is a true fact. Yeah. That, that the quality of applicants has been going down. The number and quality of applicants has been going down. Yeah. And, and that's across the country. And so bar passage rates are following. And so then this chief justice or whatever the court, when they decide not to lower the score, they're like, well, no, we're not lowering the score because this is a national trend caused by reasons, including low quality of applicants. And so we're keeping, keeping the higher score. Yeah, no, that makes sense. As, as opposed to an alternative explanation in say California or something. Um, although I guess it just kind of steps back to the whole thing. Like what is the, I don't know, what is the point of this? You know, um, they go on and they say later that there's this survey that um, most attorneys in California, what was it? It was like 90% or something. Yeah, 90% said, um, oh, no, no, I don't know if it was 90%. Is referring it's two surveys. I've got it right here. It's yeah. two surveys. And we have, of the people who took the exam, 90% of them said it should be reduced. <laughs> the passing score. <laughs> That's not surprising. <laughs> of the people taking the exam, they want a lower cut score. Yeah. And then of the 34,000 California licensed attorneys, they did a survey of them, and nearly 80% of those people who responded said that they should leave the cut score where it is <laughs> because they've already passed the bar. Yeah, they've already passed the bar, and it's a, so, it's a, it's a barrier to entry, right? So then this, yeah. this whole question in my mind comes up is like, I don't see the bar as really protecting people from, you know, subpar attorneys. So, um, yeah, on some level it does. But on another level, it's just a way of, like, keeping people from getting into the field. And so, <laughs> I don't know. Like, Well, surely it has some value protecting against just pure charlatans. Right. I mean, yeah, but I mean, or that the charlatans have to be reasonably smart. (laughs) They can't be, they can't be super dumb and they can't be zero prepared. I mean, you do have to work hard to like study this shit and be reasonably bright in order to pass the bar. True. Uh, I I guess I just, I don't, I, I feel like it's more just enacted to keep people out of the profession for economic reasons, not necessarily to protect. I don't think people really care about protecting clients from shady lawyers. Um, Well, then maybe they should just get rid of it entirely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the other question here is it said that uh, California is the second most difficult test, or they didn't say it was the second most difficult test, but Delaware has apparently a higher cut score. I don't know if that actually makes it harder. The questions might be easier on Delaware's uh, yeah, test. Right. But, um, I mean, I think it is pretty well known that people consider the California bar exam pretty tough. And so it's sort of like, why 
why does California feel the need to have a harder test than other states? Like, I, I don't know. And part of me is like torn. Um, I would just say, let it go. If people passed, if they graduated from law school, um, let them figure it out in the market. Like people will hire them or not hire them based on whether they graduated. And then I don't know. Like, I, I just don't see the point of the test, honestly. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that's a much bigger issue. I mean, why is there even a bar exam, uh, period? Maybe there just shouldn't be. Yeah, I guess that's part of the reason why I was – maybe that's why I was a little more indifferent about the court's reasoning going from this California trend versus the national trend. I was just like, eh, like – I feel like that's small potatoes compared to just the bigger issue. And as you can see, right, like the people who have already passed it want to stay high because they want to keep the competition out. And the people <laughs> who have yet to take it want it to be low so they can get in. Um, I don't know if it has a lot to do with protecting people. I think Yelp and other places can help protect people from shady lawyers better than a bar passage thing. Cause there are yeah, tons of people sure. who have passed the bar and are horrible, you know? So sure. Anyways, I don't know. Random thoughts. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Um, and they have decided at least for now, not to lower the score, the cut score in uh, California. So California is going to remain probably one of the toughest uh, places to pass the bar. So, I mean, our message to students just has to be, you know, hey, if you're if you're wanting to practice law in California, you better be looking at uh, the bar passage rates of the kinds of schools that you're going to, and realize that that's basically your predicted bar passage rate, uh, not because of the educational value of law school, but because people like you who go to schools like that pass the bar at this type of a rate. Yeah, and um, so just you know, go into it with your eyes wide open. Um, Cause it's real. You don't get your money back if you fail the bar. So it, it's going to, it is an obstacle and it's harder than the LSAT. So uh, just keep that in mind if you're uh, on this path. Yep. Um, this next thing I bumped to the top of our agenda. It was a comment that came in on our website. Did you uh, happen to read this yet? I think I did. Okay. Um, yeah, it's very it's very nice, um, but it's also disconcerting. Yeah. Um, so here here it is. This is a comment from our website. And it's very kind, and it says, "You two are beast, bruh. I got a one twenty nine on my first cold practice test diagnostic, and after listening to this podcast and doing two and a half untimed prep tests." I've been able to get my score up to a solid 135. Law school, here I come. Can't nothing stop me now. Diddy shake. My goal is Barry Law, and I have a 2.6 GPA, so I need, need, need a 146 to hit the 25 percentile mark and make scholarships possible. Oof. Anyways... Like, I've seriously learned a lot. Like, for instance, the difference between how an argument needs something required to assume it, parentheses, negate, and you got yourself the right answer, exclamation point, and filling holes with the SA types. 
sufficient assumption types. I'm not that good at logic games, but I'm saving some money for the Fox Logic Games Bible. No, it's not a Bible. It's an encyclopedia. Sorry, it's not even that. It's a playbook. <laughs> you don't know anyway, <laughs> the logical reasoning books encyclopedia. The games one's a bi- is not a Bible. Jesus, it's a playbook. And finding flaws in paragraphs with big words still give me some troubles. But I think this podcast will push me past the threshold. Like you guys, I never thought of worlds, but I feel like this advice is critical for these games. I'll remember both y'all, Ben and Nate, on my way to the top. Dion. P.S. Sorry, can't donate now, but soon. <laughs> um, what do you want to say to that, Ben, other than uh, thank you? Uh, well, for starters... um. Let's say that Dion ends up getting a 146. I'm not, I hope that happens, uh, but I'm not sure what the solid 135 is referring to, whether it's timed or untimed. But assuming it's timed and Dion pulls up to a 146 to hit the 25th percentile mark at Barry Law, Dion is not going to make scholarships. Um, scholarships are yeah. for people who are <laughs> much higher than that. So I'm, I'm worried, one, about even going to Barry Law. Uh, If their 25th percentile is 146, I'm really concerned about what their uh, bar passage rates are, what people do who graduate from Barry Law end up doing. (laughs) And um, I don't think scholarships are even possible at this score range. So I don't know. It just doesn't sound like a viable plan. Yeah, I I really appreciate the email and I appreciate the enthusiasm. Um, but with a two point six undergraduate GPA, it, it is going to be really hard to get scholarships anywhere. Yeah, Barry, where is Barry Law? Do we know anything about Barry Law? I do not know anything about Barry Law. Barry Law. Mm. Maybe it's in Orlando, Florida. Oh, okay. Is it is it an ABA school? Do we have a five hundred nine? Let's see. Yes. So, what's it say for for uh, GPA and LSAT ranges? Okay, so twenty fifth percentile GPA is two point six two. So, okay, we're right on that. Dion is right on that, Mark. Yep. And then the, um, yeah, 25th percentile for L-side is 146. The 75th is 151. Yeah, so, Dion, you need a 152. Yeah. In order to start thinking about scholarships. What what does it say, Ben? How many full rides are they giving? And how many, like, 50% or more are they giving? Yeah, let's take a look. So full tuition, more than full tuition was eight students. Full tuition was four. So 12 students got full or more. Half to full was 149. So 150 about, or 160-ish or so, of the 750 or so students got half or more. Okay. So... 
It's a little over, it's, it's about 20%. And yeah. um, less than half uh, tuition, actually 60% got less than half. So yeah, 80% of the students got something. They're discounting a lot because they have to. Um, yeah. No one's going to pay full freight for this. What's the tuition? The tuition is thirty-five thousand. Okay, and does it have? Does it have? I guess it's got Florida bar passage rates on there somewhere. Yeah, where is that? Let's see. Oh yeah, here we go. Um, okay, there were one hundred and what? One hundred and eighty. Oh yeah, okay, one hundred and eighty people took it. And 112 people passed. That's a 62% bar passage rate. The state is 72. So they're 10% below the state average in terms of bar passage. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is this is one where – this is exactly the one that I talk about that would potentially make me lose sleep at night. Um, I, I worry – that we might help Dion get a 146, which is just enough to get into Barry Law, and maybe they give him a 25% scholarship or something, you know, or a 50% scholarship. Yeah. And then, so then they still are going to be able to take $60,000 off of him. And he you know, he's going to be basically paying tuition and rent for these other people who are getting the full rides at this school. I mean, we got people getting more than full rides here. Yeah. So, and then, and then I'm going to worry about his ability to compete and I'm going to worry in law school. And then, yeah, they're, they're passing the bar at a 60% rate there. And so I'm worried about his ability to pass the bar exam. He's going to be like near the bottom of his class at Barry Law. Well, the bottom of the class at Barry Law doesn't pass the bar. Yeah. So I just, I'm, I really worry about giving people the rope to hang themselves, you know, <laughs> like with the starting 129 or the 135, Dion is not getting into law school and that's fine. But if he gets his way up to a 146, he might just barely get in. And and then I'm really, really worried about him getting ripped off. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Yeah, to take your sorry analogy. Sorry for the like. Hmm? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say to take your analogy further. Yeah, we're like, okay, yeah, then you loop it over here. Make sure yeah. you get a strong tree branch. I mean, it's just. Yeah. It's yeah, it's horrible. You're jumping into the fire. Yeah, I I am uh so uh, you know, as I would go back to our original the the original uh presumption of don't pay. Whatever you do, don't pay. Yep. As long as you don't pay, Dion, if you mm-hmm. don't pay for law school, mm-hmm. you're fine. But the second you start writing checks for law school, I think you're getting ripped off. Yeah, if you don't pay, uh, painting then... with a broad brush, painting with a broad brush. <laughs> but if there were ten of these people, nine of them would be getting ripped off. No, it's it's a very good presumption, especially for these lower ranked law schools, because if you're not paying, then that means two things have happened. One, uh, you're not paying. So if for some reason you fail to pass the bar, 
you aren't out all of that money. You're only out your time, which sucks. But hey, maybe it was a learning experience. Two, if you don't pay, then that means you've pushed your LSAT score up high enough that you have shown to yourself that you can figure out tough stuff, and that increases your likelihood of doing well in law school and doing well on the bar. But if you can't get yourself to that point, then what are your chances of doing that in law school and then doing that on the bar exam? Not as high, right? So it's like it really becomes not only a, a litmus test, but a like it also helps ensure your success. So, yeah, get get a scholarship, and then we are all in favor. And by a scholarship, we mean full ride or almost full ride. I mean, just you you don't need to pay tuition to a school like this. Yeah. You you really shouldn't be paying tuition to a school like this. I mean, this is pretty clearly one of those schools that, you know, we're we're not really a big fan of these guys even being in in business, right? Yeah. I mean, they're admitting people with Oh god. I mean, when you're admitting somebody with a 2.6 GPA and a 146 LSAT score? Mhm. Wow. <laughs> what? Yeah. I, I just it's like that's exactly the person who is not going to pass the bar. You wonder why the bar passage rates are low. Well, that's why. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. Not being elitist, I really don't. I'm not. I don't. I'm not an elitist. I don't think I'm an elitist. I just don't want people to get ripped off. That's all. Here's one thing. I think that um, Dion's uh, comment reveals a confusion about the 509 reports. In the grants and scholarships section, it tells you how many people got some sort of grant, right? So at this school, 82%, it looks like, Uh, got it, right? And then it says 75th percentile grant amount and 25th percentile grant amount. And I think sometimes people are equating that with the 25th percentile LSAT and the 25th percentile GPA. No, this is of the people who got grants, the 25th percentile of those people got $5,000, um, and the 75th percentile here only got $18,000, which means there's a lot more left, which isn't surprising because there's only a few people who got full tuition. But the point here is you can't equate these two numbers. You have to remember that you have to be above the 25th percentile in LSAT and GPA to even get to the 25th yeah. percentile of the grant amount. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a very good point. Also, please don't get suckered in by these scholarships, AKA discounts. I mean, they can give you a $15,000 scholarship and still rip you off mercilessly. Oh yeah. These people who are in the 75th percentile grant amount, they're the top (laughs) group here. They're getting $18,000 on a $36,000 tuition. So, okay. They're getting half. That means the school is still getting 18,000 bucks. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. And what the hell are you getting for this $18,000? I mean, you're getting to sit in a room with a hundred other people listening to some boring lectures. They're grading one exam at the end of the semester and they're giving you a piece of paper at the end of three years of this. You know, it, you, you're not, you got to think about what you're actually purchasing. They're giving you wall art. <laughs> 
Well, yeah. I mean, because it really is, it's a, it's just a, it's a, it's a certification. It, there, it's a stamp. And you know, this particular stamp comes from Barry law. So Barry law is willing to vouch for you. Mm-hmm. Well, so what? I mean, it, I don't know what, what are you getting for your money here? I, I feel like a lot of times it's just a dream, you know, it's a fantasy. You're, you're, you're purchasing a very expensive temporary fantasy of being a lawyer. Yeah. I, I don't know that, you know, it's not like this is automatically you're going to be successful as, in a law, in a lawyer career, mm-hmm. legal career. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, Dion, thank you very much for writing in and, um, you know, we, we'd love to help as much as we possibly can, but you need to be thinking about a full ride, not a partial scholarship. Um, if someone in your situation and when you're looking at a school like that, we really want you to go for free or we want you to not go at all. Yeah. Um, okay. Awesome. Next one. Yeah. Hi guys. Please keep my name anonymous if you read this on the podcast, but I wanted to write the two of you to say thank you for the podcast exclamation point. I didn't take either of your classes, self-studied, but your podcast has been so helpful. It really kept me in the right mindset, made me laugh, and gave me practical tips that helped me when my old strategies had me plateauing, especially in reading comp. I took my diagnostic in March and scored a 155. Yesterday, I got my September score, had to take the makeup test because the answer sheets from my test center were lost. Okay, interesting. (laughs) And scored a 174. Holy cow. Wow. Awesome. I listened to your Last Thoughts podcast before each test, once the day before and once while getting ready the morning of. I took the five-second pause at the start of each section and thought of you guys saying, I don't care about that girl. I already kicked her ass in the last three sections when I'd get stuck. Okay. <laughs> I guess there was some particular individual this person was looking at. But thanks again and take care. Love it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for the update. Congratulations on that 174. Uh, yeah. Go somewhere awesome. Go get a scholarship. Uh, fantastic. Love that. I love that she listened to the Last Thoughts podcast the day before and then again the next morning. I wonder if yeah. she went up to the girl after the test was over and said, hey, by the way, I just wanted to let you know that I don't care about you. I already kicked your ass <laughs> in the last three sections. And that girl was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, this is great, man. 174, what is that? Yeah. That's like 90, uh, that's the 99th percentile. So Yeah, that is the 99th percentile. So that is better than... Better than 99 out of 100. That's impressive. Yeah. Uh, that's going to work out pretty well. Um, and wow, that's a, almost a 20% 20-point uh, improvement um, self-studying. For uh, for like six months of self-studying. Yeah. March through September. That's mm-hmm. pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, fantastic. Thanks for the uh, update. update. Um, hi, Ben and Nathan. As an LSAT, well, we got a couple of these ones, Ben. We're going to have to dig into this issue here. Yeah. Um, as an LSAT self-studier, a teacher in a low-income school district and a human who deeply values justice, I am feeling more than, quote, slightly queasy from your episode 109 interview with Dr. Jared Maloff. 
While I appreciate the pushback you gave in your final questions and how you brought up the discrepancy that your students with approved accommodations make up 50% of your 175 plus scorers, <laughs> I am disappointed that neither of you brought up the glaring problem that, due to cost, these testing services are only an option for affluent students. Okay, now that's not exactly true. Um, I have had people without the $1,800 fee get accommodated. So there are other routes. This is how much Dr. Malov charges, but it is not the only route to accommodations on the LSAT. So uh, let's not let's not get too hysterical and think that it's an $1,800 price of admission. That is not true. There are ways that you can get the testing done and not pay $1,800. Um, but anyway, an $1,800 flat rate that may be partially covered by a PPO healthcare plan with a low deductible and definitely not covered by MassHealth or the Affordable Care Act is not a feasible cost for most individuals and certainly not for young adults who, like many of my students' older siblings, are not supported by parents and actually send portions of their starter salary paychecks home to help support their families while paying off loans. Okay, so the plight of the, uh, you know poor or middle-class and the plight of the young working people. Um, yeah, we, we feel you. We understand. My second issue is that Maloff groups his patients into two categories, those who have been on an IEP and received accommodations before, and those who have never been tested but are struggling with the LSAT. And he says most of his patients fall into the latter category. He says most are the types of students who have always gotten good grades but been, quote, bad test takers, and understand the material but cannot finish within the time, to which you said this sounds like most of your students at the beginning of LSAT studying. I taught special education for two years, and I'm in my third year teaching general education English, so I know what it takes for students to be referred for special education, tested by a licensed psychologist, and then end up qualifying for services. Students who received accommodations through school have a very strong case for also receiving accommodations on the LSAT. Genuine kudos to them for working around their disability and making it to law school. However, with the amount of testing and individualized instruction in K-12 and college, it's hard for me to believe that many, if any, students have gotten successfully through college and to the point where law school is a viable option without accommodations if they truly have a disability. This notion that people who can afford an $1,800 flat rate have undiagnosed learning disabilities seems even more questionable if you consider that most of these students probably have heavily involved parents and better educational opportunities than the average student. This adult testing for learning disabilities gives a disproportionate advantage to well-off white students when it is already far more likely for a white student to be diagnosed with a learning disability than a child of color. We have a quote here from a New York Times article. It says, Black children face double jeopardy when it comes to succeeding in school. They are far more likely to be exposed to the gestational, environmental, and economic risk factors that often result in disabilities, yet black children are less likely to be told they have disabilities and to be treated for them than otherwise similar white children. And we have a link to an opinion piece in the New York Times. We'll post that on our show notes. Even though I agree with you that this inequity is not the fault of either psychologists like Dr. Malov or the students seeking his services, and that all parties are well-intentioned, this problem needs to be addressed more blatantly. Affluent white students with college-educated parents are already at such an advantage over truly disabled students and economically disadvantaged students, and this means of gaining LSAT accommodations is only adding to the injustice. 
Um, Okay. Aside from the completely inequitable access to these services and the questionable diagnoses, an increase in accommodated testers will unfactly, sorry, will unfairly impact the curve for every tester. Malov ends the interview by assuring listeners not to be ashamed of seeking help and reminding them there is no way for schools to know they took an accommodated test. This strikes me as a clear plug for his services, which I'm afraid more students unnecessarily will pursue. Malov acknowledges that since LSAC changed the accommodations rules five years ago, he has received more testing requests, and this number will only further increase as more hyper-competitive type A future law students are made aware of these services and the ease with which they could obtain accommodations for just $1,800 and without their future law school knowing. Ultimately, I question whether you should have aired the interview. It seems like a far easier route to a few more LSAT points than months of studying. Students already find it worth it to fly to Beverly Hills from the Middle East, and this interview could only increase this type of behavior. Uh, that's because that <laughs> Malov mentioned that in the <laughs> in the interview that he gets people flying from the Middle East to come get his testing. Yeah, uh, eighteen hundred dollars to Malov, and no need to pay in full if testing isn't likely to lead to accommodations. Meaning Malov has a financial incentive for finding a reason in the testing process for students to qualify! Exclamation point. For extra time or $1,800 for three tutoring sessions with one of you guys? So many of your listeners send emails and questions that seem to be looking for a trick or the easy way out. And this sounds like the answer to that, as it is a lot easier and possibly cheaper than the persistent hard work and 35-minute sections you both recommend. Sorry for the wall of text. Lunch break over, so venting needs to wrap up. Thanks for reading. Molly. I don't disagree with almost everything she says, um, but I don't know that we shouldn't have aired the interview. I mean, this is happening, and if yeah. we hadn't have aired the interview, it would continue on in the dark. I guess she's concerned that by airing it, that we're making it more widely known and available, um, which is true, but... I don't know. We've already talked about this issue a lot, so I think people already knew about it. Yeah, I mean, and I understand. I mean, I, 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 I totally. Yeah, I agree. I agree with almost everything she said. Um, I always have a moral issue when I when I think about accommodations and when I think about recommending people. You know, go get tested. Oh, really? You mentioned you think you have ADD. Um, have you been tested? Why don't you get tested? Uh, it's a crazy advantage if you get the accommodations. It's a crazy adva- advantage. Why don't you take advantage of that? Mm-hmm. Um, I under- Yeah, of course, there's a moral quandary there. But this is the system that exists, and not talking about it isn't going to change it. Um, I feel like we... Not like we're... Uh, <laughs> you know, we don't have that big of a platform, but at least we can talk about this stuff and genuinely engage with it and think about it. And the more we talk about it, the more people know about it, maybe the system will change. Yeah. I mean, you you do have to remember where this came from, right? I mean, this came from probably very legitimate ADA lawsuits. Yeah. It, it's just that, the result, unfortunately, is very susceptible to the resulting system is very susceptible to people taking advantage of it. 
Yeah, I think of it like um, that's a good point. I think of it kind of like due process. If I remember correctly, uh, some federal employees a long time ago got fired, and they claimed that they were not given due process. So then all of a sudden the court said, all right, since you're a federal employee and you're working for the government, and I'm not sure if this is totally accurate, but this is the gist, um, you have to get due process. And so now it's like nearly impossible to fire federal employees, which I think contributes to our, no offense to all those federal employees out there, but a bloated government that has a bunch of people who don't have any incentive to work hard because you can't get fired. You know, you just get tossed around. And that's exactly what's happening here. You have a system which tries to accommodate a particular wrong, and then it just makes it almost impossible for no one to, to be denied you know, accommodations because they're like, well, if that person needed to be accommodated, right. then just about everyone else has to be as well. And so now the definition of accommodation has expanded beyond what Molly is talking about here. And it's sort of any sort of learning difference. Um, uh, and, and to <laughs> add insult to injury or icing on the cake, depending on how you look at it, Law schools now have no clue that you've got an accommodation, so you don't even have self-regulation, right? Before you had self-regulation because people would be weighing it. They'd say, hmm, I think I could really benefit from an accommodation, but I don't want this on my record. And so if you didn't think you'd benefit that much from the accommodation, then you'd go ahead and bite the bullet and take the test without it. Now, people who don't like the fact that your score report used to say that you got an accommodation when you got one, they would claim that was discrimination. I mean – well, I don't know what it I think. Is. I mean, <laughs> legally, that is now officially dis- you, you are discriminating. The LSAC was told that they could not put the asterisk on the record anymore because it is discriminating in order to, if they do that. So they, yeah, I mean, that's the law. I yeah, I understand, but I, I, I just question the, like, I feel like there's this ethos or this moral idea that discrimination is inherently, like, wrong. And it's like, um, I don't know. I feel like it's also a very practical way of helping people self-regulate, right? Like, well, all we're going to do is say that you got extra time. So, Well, because now you got a kid who's already getting 168 on 35-minute timed practice tests. Yep. And is like, oh, but if I got accommodations, I'd probably get a 176. And it's not going to show up on my record at all. And yeah, I have $1,800 and yeah. There's no downside. When anyone ever asks me whether yeah. they should do it, I'm just like, if you think you have a chance of getting all that paperwork in, then do it. Like what? There's and, no and reason And you can sleep to. at night yeah. <laughs> morally. It's between you and God. <laughs> wow, Nathan, you brought in God to this discussion. I'm impressed. <clears throat> Yeah. Um, you know, if you, if you feel okay with it, then, uh, yeah, there really is no downside. I mean, I wonder what the solution is. I sometimes think that if you're, if you're upset like Molly is, and I, I I feel like, you know, I I totally understand what she's saying and I, I agree with 98% of what she's saying, but, um, the solution might be to fight fire with fire, right? Everyone listening should apply for accommodations. And and just like sort of you end up making the whole system meaningless. 
Yeah. But and, I'm trying to figure out what the solution is otherwise, because it just doesn't seem like, I don't know, it's a weird catch-22 that we're in. Yeah. I guess if everyone did, then, of course, you run into the situation where you're like, well, hey, there are certain cases where we all agree an accommodation should be granted. And, of course, then those get watered down. But, I, I mean, the current system is strange, too. I, as much as it was yeah. a challenge before, and people hated LSAT because they would apply for accommodations. And I remember before when people asked about it, they would say, hey, I think I can get accommodations. Should I apply? And I'd be like, look, if you haven't gotten it before, you're probably not going to get it. So don't waste your time. Put your head back in the yeah. book and focus on your 35-minute sections. Now it's the yeah. exact opposite advice, right? Like, <laughs> isn't that what is that what you told people before? I just remember people asking. I'd be like, "Look, they're going to say no, probably, unless you have." Yeah, it's really hard. They're going to deny you. They're not going to tell you why. You're going to have to file an appeal. It's going to be a big hassle. You're going to have to get lawyers and doctors and all kinds of shit. And you know, don't do it unless you're really serious about it. Yeah. And now it's like. Hey, class, everybody, if you have any claim <laughs> to possibly getting accommodated, you might want to think about these advantages that you can get. Um, I like the this next email. Um, you want to read this next one? It's on the same topic. Sure. Nathan and Ben, I haven't listened to episode 110 yet, but I wanted to thank you for a thoroughly entertaining and frightening episode 109 on a special on special accommodations. <laughs> entertaining and frightening. Yeah. That's an interesting combination. It's almost like a haunted house or something. Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you did you both did a commendable job of questioning the head of the Beverly Hills accommodations mill. <laughs> All right. That's unnecessarily insulting, but we, just we, we get the joke. Greg, Greg is just following the uh, tradition of our president, right? Or the model. <laughs> yeah. You seem to approach the interviewee with a healthy balance of courtesy and skepticism. I personally sympathize with the need for testing accommodations in select cases. However, after the interview, I couldn't help but come to the conclusion that the vast majority of accommodations given for extra time are not appropriate. I think we came to the same conclusion. When your guest said he didn't believe many people are trying to game the system, does he not understand that his clients are a bunch of aspiring future lawyers? Those are exactly the type of people who will almost always try to game the system. <laughs> that That is a really good point. <laughs> I mean, especially because it's law school. Oh, yeah. That's just 100% obvious. Like, really? You don't think that future lawyers are going to try to take every advantage that the system <laughs> offers them? Yeah. Of course they are. Well, think about glorified attorneys, right? Glorified attorneys in our society are the people on that show Suits, right? And that show is all about how can you outmaneuver your opponent in some clever legal, you know... yeah. Jiu-jitsu well, that that's yeah that's our system and I mean that's a good lawyer we, yeah. oh you want to you're gonna hire a lawyer who doesn't want to take every advantage yeah like oh no. I'm gonna <laughs> abstain for moral reasons you're like uh okay you're fired I am gonna go hire a lawyer who has no moral objection to taking every advantage in this system yes I mean if I'm getting it's like it's like war right I mean in <laughs> We, you want, if you're, you want to avoid it at all costs, first of all, you do not want to go to war. Yep. 
you just don't want to do it. So you don't, you don't want to be hiring lawyers. You don't want to be involved in lawsuits. You just keep me, keep me out of a lawyer's office for the rest of my life. And I'll be very happy. I do not want to professionally talk to a lawyer ever again in my life. Yeah. Okay. But if I do have to, I want the most ruthless motherfucker on the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, I, <laughs> if we're going to do this, yeah. then I want to win. I, do, I don't want to do this and lose. Yeah. So, of course, I want a lawyer who's going to take every advantage of the system. Yeah. So that's a, I, I feel like that's a really good point. Anyway, sorry. Uh, Greg continues. On the bright side, I was relieved that I wasn't listening to the Thinking MCAT podcast. And hearing the psychologist talk about helping a bunch of borderline applicants get admitted to medical school. (laughs) Greg, you have a way of uh, endearing friends. Um, Let's continue. The idea of some probably guilty defendant going to jail because their ADHD lawyer didn't get an extra time accommodation from the judge before yelling objection probably doesn't do much harm. (laughs) 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 however i really don't think anyone's comfortable with the idea of an adhd surgeon and a tray of scalpels okay (laughs) (laughs) this this goes back to my point do we need the bar exam no (laughs) thanks again for the great podcast greg uh or us yes thank you greg um thanks for offending all of our listeners that was interesting. <laughs> that was, yeah. Yeah. So Greg says it's no big deal because it's only lawyers anyway, and who cares? Yeah. But he's he just doesn't, he hopes that doctors aren't getting accommodations for their tests because he doesn't want a surgeon who <laughs> that would be really got accommodated they, for the MCAT. They have to be giving accommodations. So do they have this sort of problem yeah. as well? Does everyone have this problem? Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know, I, you know, we, sh- we should go back to, and I'm sure we've said this a million times, but we are not experts on this issue at all. And we're, we're kicking it around. We're, we're talking about it. Um, please, please uh, <laughs> let us talk about this as uh, smart, genuinely interested people with no really particular expertise or knowledge of, you know, even when when um greg reaches this conclusion you know i couldn't help but come to the conclusion that the vast majority of accommodations given for extra time are not appropriate well greg you don't have any data to support that conclusion i mean intuitively it makes sense that there would be a lot of people getting accommodations that maybe we don't you know we wouldn't think are appropriate but you don't know who's actually getting accommodated and who's not getting accommodated and i don't think there's really any way to know so please uh, audience don't 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 think we are like we think we know a solution we definitely don't know a solution we're just talking about an interesting problem in our field and um yeah we're very open to <laughs> being educated about this topic that's why we're talking about it to be fair though i think part of the problem is that the field itself and i could be totally wrong but the field itself seems a little bit lost right like when um, Dr. Moloff was talking about uh, the different ways that he tests, and he said at one point, I'm not sure what other psychologists do in their testing. Yeah. I was like, oh, there's not a stand. It's not like everyone is 
in the know and they、yeah. say, yeah, this is the way you figure it out.、Um, that kind of surprised me. It made me feel like this is still the Wild West. And in some ways, that's not su- surprising because it's psychology, right? Like, how much do we know about the mind? How much do we understand about learning differences? I kind of feel like everybody has some sort of learning difference and we just compensate for them in different ways. And we also have learning strengths, right? And so then that's just the sum of our minds, and our minds have different strengths and weaknesses. I mean, they're freaking complicated. And so it's not surprising to me that you have a ton of variety、uh, in terms of our mental capacities in the way we think and how we solve problems. And so I think that、um, it's true we may, you know, it, I know it's true that we don't know a lot, but I think our skepticism is not totally unjustified because it doesn't feel like the field of psychologists that are leading this charge. Don't necessarily know a lot either. So then you can start questioning what they're saying. I mean, he seemed pretty confident. He's like, well, you can start to tell when someone deserves accommodations, but it still didn't seem totally rock solid to me. It was just sort of like, well, if you can't do something within time, then, and you normally can understand it, then therefore you should be given accommodations. And I was sort of like, yeah, but that's the nature of the LSAT. Yeah, in that case, everybody, because even people who I'm working with a girl last night, she's, I'm really proud of this one tutoring student that I have. She's in, improved a lot. And she, she has gotten to the point now where she'll do 21 questions on the logical reasoning and she'll get 20 of them right. Yeah. And, and that's like awesome. You know, she's, she's worked really hard at it and she's chipped away at it for months. And now she's at this point where the questions now are making sense to her. Mm hmm. And it's a, it's a joy to work with her because when, when she misses one and then we talk about it, I almost always am able to turn the light bulb on with her where she's, she gets to the point where she goes, Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Totally got it. Yeah. Got yeah. It. And it's very satisfying, you know, and this is exactly the type of person who, I don't know. I mean, I wonder if she got tested. If, if Dr. Malif would be like, Oh, yeah. Well, you understand the content perfectly. So yeah, you just need extra time. Yeah. And, and if that's the case, then well, we should just give everybody extra time, or we should just make the test untimed or something, because there's a lot of people who can figure it out if they don't have a time limitation.、Mm-hmm. Um, that's part, yeah, it's testing how quickly you can read and digest and understand and figure it out. The time is an integral part of the test. Yeah. So I don't understand. I don't know. It's, yeah, okay. We're in the Wild West. I don't know. Anyway, I hope people are going to be hysterical. They're already hysterical about episode 109, but they're going to be, they're going to be even more hysterical now that we've <laughs> aired some of this venting. Yeah. We're going to get hate mail on both sides. <laughs> um, You can send that hate mail, by the way, to help at thinkinglsat.com.、Uh, we read every email and we try to respond to as many of them as we can. We'll put them on the show if we think they are、uh, interesting to, for everybody to talk about, but we do appreciate all of those、uh, emails we get. I thought, I thought you were going to say, you could send all that hate mail to Ben at strategyprep.com. To Ben, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's what I would have said. I mean, I, to you. Yeah. I'm. I'm very interested in this issue. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun problem to think about, and it, it just doesn't seem like we have an easy solution here. Yeah. Don't know. I hope we're not offending Dr. Malov either. I mean, he's, he's actually going to you know, potentially be the one getting all the hate mail for this. But 
he struck me as a psychologist who believes in what he's doing and seems like he's really good at it. He's a, he's certainly a good advocate at getting people accommodated. So, you know, if you think you have a case and you have $1,800, you, that's a good way to go. Um, he, I don't, if this is a huge problem, I do not at all think that he is the problem. No, it's, um, it's systemic. But the thing is too, that I think it's very possible that everyone has some sort of learning difference. Not everyone, but yeah. you know, 80% of people have some sort of different way of learning or thinking. And then that might register on his test. And so therefore when he's granting accommodations, it's something that does make sense. We just don't realize how widespread this is. And so we don't realize that, oh, in reality, we're sort of, I don't know. Um, what am I trying to say? Like <laughs> the exception is swallowing the rule, right? And so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, maybe everybody needs to get a different amount of time uh, for the test if we were going to really fairly accommodate everyone. Um, it strikes me, it's a little bit like golf. Uh, in golf, you, do, you, do you know how the handicap system works in golf? Mm, not they, really. Okay. Well, in golf, if you're like a really good golfer, then you have to give shots to your opponents. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're like in any casual, normal game, like when I play with my dorky old man buddies that I play golf with, um, you know, sometimes uh, if someone's better than me, they'll have to give me a couple shots. And if I'm better than someone else, I'll have to give them a couple shots so that we can play golf together and have fun. And we won't know in advance who's going to win. Sure. So that's a bit like what's going on here with these accommodations, right? It's like, yeah. Oh, well, you're a little bit slower. So we're going to give you extra time then. Mm-hmm. And okay. That is, that is one understanding of fairness, but it's also like, well, but wait, what was the purpose of this test again? Yeah. And I don't know. I I have a buddy who's a high school administrator who's convinced that the solution to this issue is to just eliminate time on tests. Mm. Never have time. There there should be no no time restriction. Yeah. Um. But the problem with that is that you're going to end up with too many people scoring perfectly. Yeah, I mean, you could try to make the test extraordinarily difficult, right? Because there certainly are cases where people sit on a question forever and they're convinced that it's B, but the answer is C. And you're like, well, no, yeah. your reasoning is wrong for this reason. Now do you see the light? And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't, right? They still sort of persist in their way of seeing the the world. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that's a possibility. It would be interesting. So you'd have to put fewer questions. Mm-hmm. I think you'd have to put fewer questions. Harder questions. And you would also... And, and make them much, much harder, yeah. And then it'll be like, nope, it's just these 20 questions. And you can have all day. Yep. Should be plenty of time. And, yeah, I mean, that that's a solution. Because then it's like, well, okay, here you go. You got unlimited time. Hmm. We could, we could even get some data on this. Put together... Oh, they don't like... Well, yeah, Anyways, you put together some – I'm hesitating because LSAC has these restrictions on, quote, creating tests. But you basically put uh, together some hard questions and you say, go at it, and you see how that correlates with people's practice test scores. Yeah. In any case. Okay. Anyway, should we move on to a different yeah, topic? Yeah, sorry. Go for it. Okay. Oh. Um, or is it me? Sorry, I don't remember now. No, it's me. It's me. Uh. 
it says, subject, hardest RC book and other questions. Hi, Nathan and Ben. I've been an avid listener of the Thinking LSAT podcast since the summer when I took a cross-country road trip shortly after beginning to study for the LSAT. My boyfriend swears he can score a 160 from the amount of podcast listening alone. I began with more recent episodes, but have been have since been digging back as I continue to study for the December test. I fall into the category of students who initially scored highest in RC and then neglected RC during my studying so I could perfect games and improve LR since it is worth more points. My initial score without any prep was 154, and since late July, I have completed the two most recent books of 10, scoring between 161 and 173. Nice. Now that I'm consistently minus zero, minus one on games, I want to perfect reading comp. Right now, reading comp is my most inconsistent section. I have scored perfectly on RC on a few tests, but then there are tests where I get upwards of seven to nine wrong. I'm generally a strong reader, but need to work on building fluency with the hardest passages, particularly the passages about law. I'm hoping this book you mentioned in episode 63 will help me focus on the most difficult passages and begin to score 170 plus more consistently. All right. I hope so too. Yeah. Are there further tips you have about RC for those most difficult passages? Also is there, and would you recommend a similar book of the hardest LR questions? Since I have almost two months to study for December, which is more time than I took to study for September, I want to make sure that I am using this time purposefully and seeing growth rather than just churning out more of the same scores. Do you think a few tutoring sessions would help push me to the next level? If so, do either of you still have fall availability? Uh, thanks for all the tips. You guys are a guiding force for all the self-studiers out there and are amusing even for non-LSAT listeners like my boyfriend. Quote, what would Ben and Nathan do has become a frequent joke since the road trip. Look forward to hearing about the book and hearing my September score. Thanks again, Molly. What do you think about those questions? <laughs> yeah, I think um, tutoring could help Molly a lot given where she's scoring. She's the perfect candidate for tutoring. She is the perfect candidate for tutoring. Um, I really enjoy working with students who are scoring already hitting 170 every once in a while on their tests. Mm -hmm. That's what really does it for me as a teacher. I really like working with the top, top, top students. Um, it's, it, I feel like they get the most out of the tutoring sessions because they've already done all of the foundational work and they they're put, they put themselves in a position to really understand the higher level concepts. Mm -hmm. So yeah, when I hear somebody knocking on the door of 170 and want to know how to go forward, tutoring is definitely something to consider. Um, ben, you have openings for the fall? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, since most people who want to do tutoring through the podcast are meeting on Skype and usually have the flexibility of meeting during the day, I can definitely make time then. Uh, evenings are a little harder, but yeah, I can I can make okay. it available during the day. So, And they just email you, right? Ben mm -hmm. at strategyprep.com. That's right. If you want to talk to Ben about tutoring. If you want to talk to me about tutoring, um, you can email me, Nathan at foxlsat.com. You can also just go ahead and schedule yourself on my calendar. If you want to see exactly what type of availability I have, you can go to foxlsat.youcanbook.me and you can just see my calendar and you can put yourself on the calendar. Um, 
book a session, I'll send you an invoice and we're good to go. So yeah, um, both, we, we both have availability and I think we kind of always both have some availability, right? We're not ever, I mean, we get fully booked like right before the test. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, don't wait until the very last minute. Cause we will have a wall of tutoring happening right before the LSAT. Yeah. But, um, right now in the middle of October, uh, I've been busy, but I have, I have spots, um, tips, tips about RC for the most difficult passages. Uh, so I was just telling someone the other night that when they're reading a passage, if they really are fully engaged and they're really trying to understand what they're reading, uh, and then they still get questions wrong, then it just means that they need to actually expand their reading comprehension, right? Like I do have people that are very engaged and they're they're trying to understand what's being said, but then when they restate what has they think has been said, they're a little bit off, right? Like they kind of oversimplify something or they – turn a sentence that was really attributed to someone else into a sentence that sounds like it's now owned by the author. And okay. so I feel like they're they're really trying to engage with the material but they're still just not like their 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 capacity to read these dense passages still needs improvement. And so in those cases I tell people, look, you're you're trying to understand everything, you're really trying to ask what the heck this author is trying to tell you. You're grappling with what they're saying you finish the passage you try to predict the main point but your main point's a little bit off or something or your understanding of individual parts of the passages are off and that's revealed in your wrong answers right like you're you're choosing the wrong answers and so when you get those answers wrong i was saying you need to go back to the passage and figure out how you read it initially and why that reading of that sentence or those sentences or cluster of sentences was inaccurate and do some investigation. Like you really need to become a better reader at some of these convoluted sentences. And the only way to do that is to try, fail, and then figure it out. I feel like a lot of people try, fail, and then just sort of like look for some panacea. I mean, I'm not saying that's what Molly's doing necessarily, but they're sort of like, I need another tip, and I'm like, I don't know if it's so much about tips. If you really are engaged in the passage, that would be our tip. Um, but maybe you just need to practice and fail and then figure out how you failed, how you misread that sentence. What's, what word or phrase did you kind of take in the wrong way or did you not notice, even though you are trying to notice? Um, maybe you didn't notice that this sentence was prefaced with, you know, um, many scientists argue that. And so it's not really something that is an idea that's owned by the author, but owned by these scientists. And you, somehow you didn't give enough weight to that um, or you weren't aware of that. So I feel like there's a lot of value in trying to become an investigator and figuring out what you were thinking as you read and what you think now as you read in, in light of the correct answer. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. I, I don't really think I have tips per se, but I like the idea of just do more practice, dig into your mistakes. I mean, the ones you missed are, that's the test trying to tap you on the shoulder and tell you, 
hey, here's where your problem is. So whichever ones you're missing, yeah, get a, get a little deeper and figure out why you're missing those ones. Yeah, um, and I just <clears> want to <throat> clarify, that, and I, hopefully I'm making this clear, but maybe not. But um, when you're investigating that, you're you're not just figuring out why the correct answer is correct and the wrong answer is wrong. You're also trying to figure out like why you missed that the first time, right? Like I think that's a little bit more that's getting into your process. So, yeah, yeah. Why did I pick this wrong answer? Why didn't I pick that right answer? What can I do next time to avoid making this mistake? Yeah. Right. And, and all that analysis, people don't usually go that deep. They usually just want to look, Oh, the answer key says D. So let me look at D. Oh yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, but you're not actually, that's, that's okay. But what about how do, how do you avoid that next time? Yeah. So I don't know. You've got to sort that out with yourself, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay. I have to run, so we should leave that there. Okay. Yeah. Um, again, you can email both of us help at thinking LSAT.com. Thank you for indulging us a lengthy discussion of this accommodations issue that we really don't know that much about. Please uh, don't be offended on either side. I'm sure we're going to piss off people on both sides, Ben, which, um, you know, eh, we're just trying to present the information right as, as best as we can. And, and neither of us have a, I don't have a solution. Do you have a solution? Nope. Okay. So you know, maybe we will uh, get there together. It'll be interesting to see how this system evolves over time. But uh, please don't take offense. We're, we, uh, we, we totally believe that there are lots of situations where accommodations are justified. And we also worry that people might be taking advantage of this system. And uh, we definitely don't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's our position. <laughs> um, all right. Cool. Last words. No. Thanks for listening. Okay, talk to you next time.